0: Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us this week is Glenn Fitzgerald.
1: Hey, I'm no hero, but I was up at the crack of 10 to speak in a church this morning.
0: Also with us, Jed Brewer.
2: What's a church, dude?
0: (laughs) With us all the way from Roper Church, Tennessee, one of the pastors at one of those things. I already forgot the word, but I hope they catch on. Lee Younger.
3: I, uh... I've never heard the phrase, the crack of 10. Yeah. But this, that was a new experience for me right there.
1: Yeah. It felt like the crack of 10. It's a new invention.
0: Yes, we have got <laughs> uh, the normal shenanigans, which we've already begun uh, kicking off. We got some great questions. But first, we have, I believe the term is correct, a church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it up a, a notch. I'm going to talk about... A megachurch emergency. Oh, oh. the megaist of megachurches, uh, Lakewood oh, like Church, mega in one Houston, Texas. Uh, uh, lead pastor, lead singer, driver of the Winnebago, Joel Osteen, the, the head mm. guy in charge over there. You may have heard of him. Uh, thank you to the uh, several people who texted, <laughs> tweeted, <laughs> made sure we saw this in some form on social media. Um, I'm going to give you the headline. From uh, Channel 11, CBS Dallas-Fort Worth, plumber finds cash of money behind loose toilet in a wall at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Mega Church.
1: Wow! Uh-huh.
0: So let's walk through that slowly. Uh, so someone found money. That's that might be you know something in a wall mm-hmm. behind a toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who does number two work for? (laughs) (laughs) And you might think to yourself, well, is is it some change that fell out of someone's pocket when they were doing some drywalling? What are we talking
1: about? That can happen to anybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe some kind of a weird uh, luck ritual that I didn't know about that uh, (laughs) people do, or you put like a silver dollar in the wall when you finish construction. I don't know what people do. It's like uh, putting a coin in a fountain. Yeah, could be. Uh, no, this was uh, described by the gentleman who thought, Uh I went in to remove the toilet, and I moved some insulation away, and about 500 envelopes fell out, later oh. found to be full of cash and checks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only a few lines of work in which you f- might find 500 envelopes worth of cash. Yeah. One of them might
3: be church, but there are others. Well. When I was a when I was a kid, I would walk home from school in elementary school and I would immediately turn on the cartoons and one of my favorite cartoons was the uh the DuckTales where Scrooge McDuck oh, yeah. um would jump off of a diving board into a giant uh building filled with golden coins and swim in the golden coins. And that's the very first thing that came to mind when yeah. when I When I caught wind of this was like, so is he just like a real-life Scrooge McDuck? And the place that he works, is there's just like everywhere he goes, if he wants to, he could just roll around and swim in literal cash? (laughs) Very
1: possible. This is definitely, definitely not the worst thing that a megachurch has done with people's contributions. (laughs) So let's think of it that way.
3: Because maybe if you hide it in the wall, you could eventually give it to the poor
2: that's correct, you got it. <laughs> they're aging it lee they're aging it like a fine cheese,
3: so it takes on more character no, that's
2: right. oh,
3: this is a chateau lakewood yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> now that's possible. uh let me pitch another uh just you know totally innocent concept for what this might be. um people may be familiar with the with the Dave Ramsey and you put the money in the envelopes and you put it in the drawer so you can't spend it because spending money is inherently immoral, I guess oh. <laughs> as long as it's on something that you like, that's, ah. that's in there somewhere. Um, but maybe the super hardcore version of that is putting your money in envelopes and then, uh, drywalling it behind. So you <laughs> really, really have to save it.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
3: Maybe like put your envelopes in the floor and then concrete over them. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so now you're taking me to like the old school, like Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy movie, Matt, but I'm just like living in my elementary school TV watching days right now. But I think based on what you just said about the Dave Ramsey thing, then if you really, really need the cash, you get to swing a sledgehammer to get it.
0: Absolutely. Or you can do what I did. Uh, when the church that Leor sat at that I used to attend there in Tennessee, the first week it was finished, uh, Right before High School Bible Study, which I used to help Lee out. And you can uh, open up a hole in the wall by picking up a 270-pound offensive lineman and uh, planting him right between two studs.
3: He deserved it.
0: Leaving the uh, the <laughs> intrepid youth pastor to make a very fun phone call to the, <laughs> the man in charge of such things at the church. Hey, you know the building we just finished remodeling? Yeah. I believe, I, if my memory serves, and it often does... Uh, Lee, in a really strong bit of, you you all may be aware of the the S-word sandwich, where it's the good news and the bad news and the good news. Uh, I believe you opened that phone call with, uh, well, the good news is we had about 40 kids at Bible study tonight. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. (laughs) About the middle part of this.
3: One of them, that's the size of two high school kids,
1: entered the wall.
0: Yeah, and just kind of stayed there. Entered. But not bounce off, entered.
1: If, pe- if people listen to this podcast know that our the main thing that we're about is that sweet, sweet cash.
4: Mm.
1: Now, here's what I get out of this story. Apparently, this church is loaded with actual loot in the walls. <laughs> All we got to do is put a team together get in there and start the uh, you know excavating we could call it like an archaeological
3: dig christians yeah. love that archaeology stuff we're just trying to like uh you know corroborate what's in the bible and things
0: yeah there you go so you're your thing is some kind of like a soft christian movie indiana jones reboots right i think i would buy that there's a series of booby traps a Lakewood church, like a boulder might chase you out or something.
1: <laughs> well, can I just throw this out there? Could we do sort of, um, you know, like a Mission Impossible where at some point I'm hanging from wires from the ceiling? Yeah. So I would really be into that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have much of a budget, so it might be, uh, you know, they may not be the best quality wires, but you've got faith, so that's fine.
3: Yeah, yeah. And based on what you were saying, Matt, about the Indiana Jones reboot, there's definitely churches around where I am currently sitting that would already have like the room with all the snakes in it.
0: Yeah, that's hey, that's true. <laughs> Why did it have to be snakes? Well, you're the one who came into this Pentecostal church, so <laughs> I think you made your choice. I like the idea of a heist. I think yeah. I think there's something to be done in there.
1: For sure. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have a lot of uh, you know uh, diversions and that kind of you know look look over there and then you know you sneak into the bathroom and start hacking uh, away at the walls.
0: Well, Glenn, what, what do you see your role in this this crew? Because you've mentioned being on the coming down the wires, but you do like causing diversions.
1: I love causing the diversions. That in many ways, most of my life has been a diversion. Uh, I, For me, I really see myself as what you call the mastermind who uh, doesn't really assume a whole lot of risk.
3: Well, I can say this. If we're developing a crew for a heist using the Say That podcast hosts, um, Matt is the safest driver I've ever personally met. He's not the getaway driver.
0: I have been mocked by people <laughs> I was dating <laughs> multiple times. For driving like an old lady. Wow. Including once in college, this literal phrase. So do you always drive with both hands on the wheel or are you just doing that to make me feel better? And I was like, always. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to need to be doing something else. There's no doubt about that.
3: Well, I think the the Christian version of the heist movie is that we we, uh, you know, we give people their role in the crew based on their spiritual gift. Oh, kind of an Enneagram. <laughs>
0: Wait, can we make a Christian Enne- Enneagram competitor, but it's based on your role in the heist movie?
3: Wow. That's, <laughs> wow. A, really, that's a really good one right there.
0: Like, you can be like, uh, well, you know, it's a little tough for me. I'm, I'm just kind of more of a demolitions guy type. So <laughs> confrontation can be really tough for me sometimes. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. That's it. Wow. I like that.
1: Because, like you know, like in those in those heist movies, they've all often got like a you know ultrasonic laser something that you know cracks the safe. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you just tear out the drywall. But we could still <laughs> use lasers, probably. Might set the money on fire, but still, you know.
0: Well, I, th- I think we would, yeah we would do all the Ocean's Eleven hubbub, with the slow motion and the the lasers and the. Distraction and the demolitions guy, and it's all to be timed to a T, and it's all the quick camera cuts, but then it smash cuts to just somebody with a uh, drywall saw just just going at <laughs> it behind the, the toilet and just dragging. Wait, in wait, blokes. I got,
1: I got the perfect thing. Like, we use the laser beams to open up the walls, and if somebody comes in and catches us, we say, we're here to install the lasers in the sanctuary. Wow. Oh, that's really good. Go. Boom. <laughs> done. Yeah. I thought we
0: already had lasers. Well, you had last year's lasers.
1: I thought you wanted bathroom lasers. I guess not.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think that kind of thing may work because I scroll down uh, later in this news story and find this quote from uh, whatever poor, like PR intern works at Lakewood this, this day. Cause you'd think they'd say like, Oh, well we don't comment on this potential criminal. This this is a quote. Recently, while repair work was being done at Lakewood Church, an undisclosed amount of cash and checks were found. That's it. Um,
3: ah. Oh. Oh. That's nice that's job. very
0: blasé about and I quote, an undisclosed amount of cash and checks. I just like the idea of being like, "Oh yeah, they found a lot of money in the wall." I don't yeah. <laughs> That's just Thursday over here, y'all. The one I saw said
3: bags and bags of cash.
0: <laughs> yeah, here's where I I love the, I'm looking at Two news stories, one from the local CVS and one from NBC News, like the national one. And they both have this detail, which has nothing to do with anything, but I just love it because they're trying to imply a certain amount of shadiness, even beyond what we're saying. And I just love that they know their audience would go like, yeah, that seems about right. So this is the last paragraph of the NBC News story. The money mystery comes after $600,000 in checks and cash disappeared from the church's safe in 2014.
4: Hmm.
0: The Houston wow. Chronicle reported no arrests were made in the case, but the, when we talked about that at the time, I think like they lost 600 grand and they were just like, yeah, is it was like, you're like you didn't investigate. Nah, it's just, <laughs> so I like the idea that whoever law lo- just lost that many envelopes is just like, put them in the wall, put them in the wall, put them in the wall.
1: <laughs> hey, all of you out there who have not misplaced cast the first stone. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, and if that's the case, I love how long that person got away with that for. Yeah. Cause here's the thing put in the wall. doesn't sound like a great, like a great plan, but as you're rounding year seven of that working out and then to be undone by an errant plumber, that's a, that's, that's a tragic movie in its own way.
1: Wow and just just checking they they were aware that you could use like fiberglass as a form of insulation on the walls.
0: Well, they didn't have fiberglass <laughs> laying around, Glenn
1: well, I guess yeah, you just you know you grab whatever's to hand, but you know probably there are other materials that would do better. I love the idea of the plumber
3: getting into the wall, finding the envelopes of cash and then like, you know, texting his wife and saying, look, just be straight with me. I found 27 envelopes, honey, 27. Okay. And then like, you know, you know, it was 31, but he's like, everybody, it was 27. Let's be clear on this.
0: Well, the, the plumber is a real interesting character in this story because not only did he, upon finding envelopes of cash, just immediately alert the, uh, the church. And then it, one weird detail said, and I was then there for seven hours while they dealt with that. So we found, A, the world's most honest plumber, but also the reason this is in the news is because... He called a Houston's 100.3 The Bowl, a country music <laughs> wow. radio station in the city.
1: A completely appropriate way to disseminate any important information <laughs> is immediately call the country music station.
3: The drive time country music station.
1: It's it's basically, you know, the the uh, media source of record.
3: Here
0: here's the here's a, another unsung here on this is the DJ Who I assume call screener said something about there's a guy who is a plumber and wants to talk on air about what he found at the church he was working at. (laughs) And it's a real (laughs) bit of vision to take that call live on air. Yeah. Well, I think we've got, we've got intrigue. We've got money-making opportunities. We've got a heist set up to go in real life or in movie form. And if we, all four of us get caught at Lakewood church, uh, we were doing the movie, not the other thing. Right. <laughs> we can all be clear about that. And on that note, we will declare emergency off. Yeah, here, here I'm gonna be. I'm gonna level with you, folks. Uh, sometimes we have to rack our brains to come up with something and go through some tweets, some Instagram, find some. Move on. It, it's a nice week, and the, as the holidays draw near, when the uh, when the emergency just comes pre-wrapped to you, <laughs> when you look on Twitter and Joel Osteen is. Trending number one. And you think this might be an easy week right here. It has to happen sometimes. Uh, now, what does not just come together on its own. What is the result of uh, hard work and dedication by a huge team of very talented people is the bridge cast that comes yeah. out every Sunday, 7 PM central time on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash You don't have to watch it live. It is archived over there at that same Facebook page for you to check out whenever you want we also, of course, have Bridgebox, MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, where you can sign up $8 a month, get some good stuff into your inbox the first of every month, keep encouraged and informed, all great stuff to check out. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I take pride in my work, mainly when it comes to fixing problems. I also understand that I will be bound to get some criticism and complaints from my work. However, people who are critics have an issue. When people who are critics have an issue that requires my help, I feel a little disincentivized to help them. What can I do? And uh, a really, really good question. As always, we appreciate the honesty on these kind of things. And Jed, where do we start off?
2: This is a great question. Definitely appreciate the honesty. And I want to be clear. I don't think this is a question that has a simple cut and dry answer to it. Um, I think the details really matter a lot, and I think um, the nature of the situation really matters a lot. So I'm going to give you what I think is probably, in most cases, in the direction of the right answer. It's it's certainly the direction I personally would lean in, but I want to be clear up front. I, I don't know that there is a one right approach to this in all cases, so I want you to bear that in mind if it's me, the, the place, and, and this is a scenario I'm familiar with. If it's me, the, the scenario, the direction I'm going to lean in is doing the right thing, but doing it for my own sake. Mm. And let me explain what I mean. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I did what was right. I was a person of integrity. I was a professional, whether the other people involved in this were or not. And I think that If for me, if I want to have peace about how I've handled a situation, most of the time, I need to be able to say that I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I did the right thing. I was a person of integrity. I was a professional again, whether other people were that or not. And it's worth noting that that is uh, in line with scripture in terms of the idea of as far as it depends on you living at peace with everyone what i'm describing to be clear is not the same as trusting people who have betrayed your trust or let you down or just made it clear that they're not trustworthy and it's also not the same as going way out of your way to hook them up um I'm, I'm not talking about you know pulling unpaid overtime to solve their problems for them i'm talking within the the scope and spec of your job and what you clearly have been charged to do um, doing that and doing a, a responsible and good version of it, uh, whether they strictly speaking deserve it or not. And I'm suggesting that again, cause I, I think it's in most cases, I think it's the right thing to do. And I think it's the, the thing that's going to allow you to feel better about yourself than you would otherwise. But I also want to suggest that I think it's the right move because in most cases it is the absolute best form of revenge. Hmm. Being a better person than the other people involved in a scenario, they know. They're aware. The, The fact that they're not going to own up to it is another matter, but they know when they're dealing with someone who is displaying greater integrity and moral character than they are, and it will absolutely drive them crazy, so not only is doing the right thing, the right thing. And not only will I th- do I think you'll have a great deal of peace off of it. And I, I do think that I also think that it is the best revenge in most scenarios, which is, you know, a pretty delicious combination. Um, you you might've heard the phrase kill them with kindness. And, and that's, that's really what I'm describing here. Again, that's not the same as trusting them. Um, that's not the same as going way out of your way or, um, you know, burning up your weekend to to do stuff that you, you otherwise wouldn't do, but within the scope of, of what you've been hired to do within the scope of, of your job spec, I think in most cases, um, you know, giving them a level of professional service that they may not strictly speaking deserve is what you're going to feel good about down the road. And, and I think that's really where I would close out is to say, ask yourself, not what would I feel better about, you know, while I'm doing it or immediately after I did it, Ask yourself what you feel better about six months down the road, Uh, because I think that's usually a better metric. And there are scenarios where the right move and the move you'd feel good about six months down the road is to tell them to take a long walk off a short pier. But those are rare scenarios. Most of the time, the taking the high road, being the bigger person, choosing to be professional, even though they weren't, that's the thing you're going to feel better about six months down the road. And, And that's how I would encourage you to make that decision.
0: I think it's it's such a great place to start out and just a really solid foundation to move on from. And Glenn, where do we take things from there?
1: Well, I agree with Jed. I you know it's one of those things where it's uh, it 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 can go this kind of situation you can go into something that's really uncool pretty easily. Uh, versus sometimes it's in the realm of things we can kind of take in stride. But I think it is worth pointing out that you deserve and it's fair for you to expect a certain amount of thanks for hard work that's done well and done with some integrity and uh, you know you've you've tried to do your best with it and uh, it's it's fair to expect people to have a little appreciation and and uh, and express that verbally in a way that you can hear it um, so I think you know let's let's start by recognizing it's a it's a legit thing uh, the we're we're not even talking about spirituality here we're not even talking about basic good and responsible behavior we're we're really talking about manners at this point and that's uh if if you don't even manners are things you can sort of do by uh, rote uh, without really feeling them kind of a thing it's just an automatic thing or ought to be uh so if we're not even displaying that then yeah we're we're in a situation where uh, someone's failing to do the bare minimum but i think it's also important to recognize that you need to communicate that displeasure at some point now the problem is usually the right time to do that is or very early on and once things kind of get more heated and, you know, that root of bitterness, as the Bible puts it, starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and go deeper and deeper, You, it's harder to confront someone or to just say anything without it mm. coming out pretty bitter. And, and then that feels like, well, I'm I'm only making things worse, and it's just easier for me to suck it up. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I, I think you might look at what you deserve in terms of being able to express that and and simply look somebody in the eye and say look you know this this might you might be dealing with your own frustrations with things and um yeah i'm in the environment so maybe you're taking out some of that frustration on me or you're just not fixated on uh you know my feelings in this situation and i'm not trying to make myself uh, the most important thing in the in in the interaction here but, you know, some basic appreciation uh, would be nice and that kind of thing or, you know, just some civility even here. Um, so I I think that's worth looking at. The final thing I would mention here is, um, well, I think it's important for you to look at, are you around a lot of people who are stingy with that validation? And if you are, why are they being stingy with it? uh if you're around a lot of christians you're around a lot of people who have issues with validations uh christian culture church culture in general uh validation is one of the least likely things you're going to get you might get a lot of sort of compliments that are sort of hollow and perfunctory you know that was a great sermon this was you know you know you know loved here and you bring the word brother that kind of a pat kind of thing but a validation of, you know, this really meant a lot to me and it really helped me, thank you very much, uh, whether that's uh, fixing problems like what you're doing or or preaching a sermon or anything, really, that we do to help other people. Uh, if people are stingy with that validation, I think it's important to ask why. Uh, that might be a problem that they have with their upbringing. It might be uh, a problem with um, just the way that they see themselves, but... I bet you that people who don't get a lot of validation are stingy with giving it to others. Uh, I, I, In fact, I think there's a lot of people who don't really receive validation even when they do get it, so that they feel like they're always starved for it, and why should I be giving that to other people? So it can help to understand why people are the way they are, uh, and I think that helps you understand that it's not that they are evil— uh, but also helps you understand that you do deserve better treatment than this, and this is this is not healthy behavior on their part.
0: That's another great place to to take that. And Lee, I'd love you to close this out and maybe look at kind of a couple of the the strands that I think are intention here, and that both Jed and Glenn have spoken to, and that is this thing of. People criticize this and I don't like that. But then there's this base, which is where our question asked to start off of, I take pride in my work. Mm. And I feel like maybe at the heart of this is the tension between those things, right?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, look, first off, let's start by saying this. Nobody likes getting criticized. Um, nobody, if I work hard on a thing, I'd, I do not want to hear that it wasn't good enough. I want to hear that it was awesome. Uh, that's just that is a very very natural thing. So it is extremely natural for you to have uh, just just to feel funky about getting some criticism in the first place. Um, one of the things that we need to be able to look at is sometimes people's criticism can be helpful, especially if that person is a direct supervisor and they do have they they do have a, a role to hold me accountable or to evaluate my work. Sometimes people in a workplace will share their opinion of your work who don't have any business having an opinion about your work. I think one of the really, really important things for you here is, am I extremely clear on what my job is? Do I know it? Do I know who gets to clap back and who doesn't? Um, Can I separate helpful critique from the distraction of drama? I think Matt's exactly right that we hold this thing in tension of like, I want to get to a place where I can just I can just do this thing and not, you know, and not be, you know, flapped by um by by the way people are talking about me or whatever. At the same time, I really feel a lot of pride in what I'm doing. That that isn't that's an extremely That's an extremely difficult tension. the The thing that I want to make sure, if I were you, is: Do I know exactly what my job is? Do I know what my deliverables are? Do I know when I've done a good job, even if I've got some things to learn? These are some critical, critical questions that you need to figure out. The people that I always admire in situations of you know, kind of conflict conversations, or accountability conversations, or evaluation conversations is the people who are able to separate their personal self from the, from the things that need to grow in the work. Like, what I mean by that is like, all right, you turned this in. These are the Here's my criticism about that or here's my critique about that. This is where this needs to grow. And somebody that's able to look at that and say, okay, I will try to onboard that for next time without being able to say, that means I'm a terrible person who's failed at everything. And that's where we've got to watch some of that pride and stuff like that. But um, when you can look at like, I can do my job and I can do it well, and I may get some critique or whatever, but I don't have to pay attention to the, you know, the drama that other people are bringing into my world. And, and whether or not that means that I wind up doing something for somebody else that's been uncool to me, I can raise above the level of, of trying to get them back or whatever. That is a step of maturity that, I, number one, I think you're well in the way of that just because, the que- just because of the way that you word the question. I think that you're, you're on your way to a, to a level of maturity that's important. But just kind of looking at God made me to do certain things, I can do those well, and I can do those regardless of the drama of my workplace, and I can be kind of a Teflon to some of this distraction. And I can just do what I need to do. But I think a huge part of that starts with, do I know what my job is? Do I know who my supervisor is? Do I know when I've done a good job? And can I separate the idea that, that whatever those uh, critique conversations or evaluation conversations need to happen, that's not a direct... I don't have to wear that as a direct shame about me, the idea that I need to grow or I can do better work. These are important things and I can do better work and I do need to grow in some things. And I probably do have some blind spots, but I'm also able to go out and do me and help people and all of that stuff, especially when I'm really super clear on what it is I'm doing it and I can separate it out from my personal um, identity about myself.
0: I think that's all really, really fantastic stuff. And I, I would emphasize just that last little bit that Lee um, mentioned there of that identity part. And I think that plays in a lot and you, you you say work, you don't actually mention if this is your job or not. And that's going to be an important distinction in a lot of stuff, right? Because these guys are saying there's a certain amount of criticism that comes with any kind of endeavor. You try to do something people might have, especially if you're doing it for other people, they might have issues. And you mentioned fixing problems. So that could be, you know, tech style stuff that could be, you know, just working out uh, people's issues in all sorts of ways, which all four of us in the show have as part of our job. Um, And people always have some kind of thought about that. Um, But there is a level at which you are required to engage with that. And if it's your job, that level might be pretty high, as these guys are saying. You know, there's a level of just undue criticism or out of pocketness where you have to go to HR, you have to you want to ask your supervisor, hey, can you just can someone else work on, you know, so and so's IT tickets for a little while because they're they're driving me up a tree. Da-da-da-da. If it's something like a volunteer organization at your church or something, you can still do those same things. It's a good idea to go to the pastor and say, Hey, I, you know, I love working on the on the the sound team and the tech stuff, and it's really rewarding. But you know, the the fact that brother so-and-so really has a lot of thoughts about the sound mix, even though he's not on the worship team is kind of wearing me out. So can someone talk to him? Like if it's someone else's job to have that conversation, by all means push that off to them. And you know, we want to, we talk a lot on the show about kind of not beating up on yourself. And there's an important point here, which is the fact that you don't want to do nice things for people who, uh, verbally criticize you does not make you any kind of bad person. Doesn't mean you don't like doing those things. Doesn't mean you don't have a a heart to serve. It is, as all these guys have pointed out a perfectly natural reaction to that. So the best thing you can do is, you know, as they've all talked about, carry yourself with that personal level of integrity and uh, professionalism as it is warranted. And then also figure out some ways to, to let that uh, release valve of that pressure off. And that will be, get you very well on your way to a better situation. All right, move on to our second question. Here it comes in and says Hi, say that, guys. What do you make of this verse, Jeremiah 17 10, which states, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I know that our salvation comes through believing in Jesus Christ, but I still want the rewards of a good life, which may be eternal or may at very least manifest by avoiding earthly consequences of my sin. And yet living and being so careful about good conduct is exhausting. How do you suggest making peace with a verse like this? Thank you. And thank you, question asker, for a really, really uh, deep and well-thought-out question and a very cool verse to talk about. And Glenn, where would we start off with it?
1: Well, I want to know, you said uh, living uh, and being so careful about good conduct is exhausting. And I, I agree with you 100%. Um, to the extent that I ever are that uh, am that concerned about good conduct, which is not that often, uh, but uh, <laughs> I want to know what do you think good conduct is, uh, because I think that might have a lot to do with where we're headed in this direction. Uh, because I, I, I'm wondering, do you think good conduct is not sinning and not doing things wrong, as, as you put it in here? Um, avoiding earthly consequences of my sin. Well, that's important to do. I mean, by all means, let's have less sin and less earthly consequences. That's that's good stuff, uh, and it's great for you to focus on that. But that's not what good conduct is. Uh, that's a lack of bad conduct, which, again, is fantastic. You know, get into as much of that as you can. But good conduct is a whole different thing. Uh, that's taking us in the direction of Loving others, serving others, um, you know, like we were talking about on the last question, being thankful towards others and showing appreciation to them, uh, encouraging and lifting them up, uh, providing physical help if that's something you're able to do, you know, even driving somebody to church and uh, just having a, a, a nice conversation. That can, that can be huge for someone. So uh, I think, to a certain extent, we have this way of... of sort of this vague idea of good is mostly not doing bad things and having, like, really good doctrine in theology or something, which I don't think holds up to Scripture at all. That's not a, a picture that I get from Scripture at all. I think there's also a, a, a spirit behind this that I see and hear a whole lot uh, from Christians is a spirit of, I've got to show God something. Right. I need to, you know, demonstrate something, uh, and I need to get that performance correct. And this verse is directly saying that's not what God is all about. This verse says, I search the heart and I examine the mind. Uh, That's God speaking there. I know you—you you don't show me anything. I know what it is. You, <laughs> you, there's no demonstration of it. I'm already aware of it. Uh, I know what your struggles are, what your doubts are, what your fears are, but I know that you've got a heart to be a better person than you are, and I know that you're going to find a way to be that better person. I, I know that you want to do more with your faith and, and step out more and i want to open those doors for you when the time is right and i want you to be on the lookout for that so you know i think we say i got to show god something god god says i know your heart and he says that a lot in scripture so we need to shift our perception around to god knows me he knows where i'm coming from he's aware uh let's just figure out how do we move forward uh from there um it I think this is a thing too. We get this um this feeling that that we have to show God something because we don't want God to misjudge us, which is kind of makes no sense because he is aware of what's going on, but we think god's going to misjudge us because he doesn't under the understand the expectations that we put on ourselves, so we put these crazy high expectations on ourselves. And we sign God's name to the bottom of that and say, well, okay, he expects those things when he doesn't. And then when we fail to meet our own expectations, we're angry or worried or upset that God's going to condemn us for the expectations he didn't have anything to do with. Those were our own made-up things. God says, I know your heart. Let's stop playing all those games. Let's manage the expectations to what I want from you. Uh, if you if you set out in your life to be a good Christian and love God with all your heart and to serve your fellow man, you're going to end up sending a whole lot less, and that's going to work out just fine. Uh, I think once we simplify it down to that and and not figure out how do we play games with trying to impress other people or impress our own expectations, we'll be in much better shape.
0: I think that's an excellent base to start us off here. That's That's great stuff. And Lee, I'd love you to pick us up here, and I don't want to get too into the weeds or, or flex my own immense Bible knowledge, but I'm aware that the book of Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, Yeah. and uh, I think uh, when we're looking at Bible things, even though that seems like a very, very basic uh, distinction to make, uh, really oftentimes is this Old or New Testament, what does that tell us, is a good place to start, right?
3: Yeah, It's it's not one of these things where... Our thing is, hey, don't read the Old Testament because the new thing has happened. But it is a really critical thing that we understand a a big, huge fact about the Bible, which is there is a story arc. And if you peel something from Act One in a movie, and then you base everything off of that, and then people that have finished the movie might might say, dude, you don't need to be sad about that. Uh, You know, like, whatever. Gandalf comes back. You know, or Scrooge becomes nice, or whatever the thing is. Uh, There is a there is an arc to this tale, and that's an important thing to recognize. That, like, it's not that those verses aren't true or that they aren't good or anything like that. But let me let me give just a real brief thing about part of this story arc of what the Old Testament was doing was that with with God's people, He was on a mission to get them ready for the fact that Jesus was going to come and Jesus was going to take our place and rescue us and offer us this free gift of like, I will forgive everything and then we will have a relationship and it will be completely free to you and it'll be amazing. One of the things about that is you will understand that better if you understand how badly you need that. And so in the Old Testament, there was this gigantic system of rules and laws this morality, this whole thing, lots and lots and lots of rules. And God said, go ahead and keep these. If you keep these, we're good. If you don't, we're not kind of thing. And basically, nobody ever did. Um, And then when you fast forward to the New Testament, what uh, the Apostle Paul, a guy that, uh, you know, told a lot of people about Jesus, wrote a lot of the New Testament, He actually says in the book of Romans in chapter three, the whole point of all those rules was to close everyone's mouths, bragging about how awesome they were and how moral and how amazing and how good they were at keeping the rules. And it was to show everybody, hey, we need a new system. I actually need to be rescued here. I need to be bailed out. Uh, I can't keep the rules. And when you realize that whole arc, um, then what that allows you to do is something that that Glenn was just describing at the end of his response, which, which is, it allows you to reduce the pressure. It allows you to relax. Take the pressure off and say, "Okay, there like morality is a real thing and discipline is a good thing and you know, integrity, these are all good things. Gratitude is good. All these things are good, but living by the rules to please God is not the thing. And the only reason we got rules was so that everybody could recognize, I don't actually have what it takes to keep any of these rules." And I need somebody to rescue me. So the rescuer comes towards the end of the story, and then we have this offer. We get to have a relationship now, and you can relax. And I think the more we learn how to relax and enjoy this free relationship we've been given, it's exactly what Glenn said. When you look at the, when you kind of plot the line of best fit over the process of our life, you'll realize, oh, like you've changed a lot of stuff in your life. You like, you're a different person than you were when you first started being friends with Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the whole idea. In other words, you will sin less. You will shape up some stuff. You, you know, so I, I think there, there is a Bible thing to understand here, which is, again, just that there's a story arc to this thing. And that, you know, Jeremiah chapter 17, it's not that it's not true. It's not that it's not important. But by the way, if you would go ahead and fast forward to like chapter 31, he's going to talk about that new deal. That he's going to make with people, which is he's going to forgive everything. He's not going to remember any of their sins, and they just get to be friends with him for free. And the more we learn to enjoy that relationship, um, the more we let the whole story of the Bible play out. The more we can relax and just enjoy the the free relationship with God that we get to have, and that's really where the 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 life change is going to happen. And so that's the kind of Bible piece. The other piece is just the way this feels. Um and and I think Glenn hit the nail on the head when he said that we set our own standards and then we feel bad when we don't uh keep them. Um that's that's the the feelings piece that we get into. I think that you know as a dad I can tell you that the stuff that my kids have invented in their own heads about what upsets me has nothing to do with any of the things that upset me. And if the times that we just talk about it I'm like Yo, I'm not upset with you in any. Like, let's just hang out. We are actually really, really good, um, and I think the more that we can just enjoy, the, if we can get ourselves in the feelings piece to the place where we just have the permission to enjoy the free relationship with Jesus we have, we are going to, we are going to number one enjoy it more, and more of our life is going to change. Another
0: great, great place to take that. And Jed, I'd love to get you to, to close us out on this one here, and I think Lee's pointing us to something very important when we go to uh, Scripture, which is nobody comes to this just as a blank slate. Yep. There's what we're feeling, there's what uh, we think about ourselves, but there's also what we're looking to
2: find, right? There's no question about it. Uh, we can leave faith and spirituality and religion aside for a second. People have a tendency to find the things they are looking for. Um, if you are, I mean, th- this is obviously a really unpleasant example, but um, if you're in a dating relationship and you are just determined to find evidence that your partner isn't really into you or maybe, you know, isn't really going to be there for you, you will find data that supports uh, that belief. It's just something about the nature of the human brain. We, we have a way of, of finding what we're looking for, particularly when it's something negative. Uh, when you look at the history of Christianity, if we, if we use just one example, people who wanted an excuse for slavery, they looked in the Bible and they found one. Yeah. And people who wanted a cry for justice to oppose slavery, they looked in the Bible and they found one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible is a big book with a lot of stuff in it. You can almost certainly find what you're looking for. Um, if, if you want a vengeful God, you can probably find one in there. If you want a loving God, you can probably find one in there. The question kind of becomes, what are you looking for? And given that, at some point, you kind of have to decide for yourself what kind of dude God is. Mm. That And that is ultimately a decision of faith. It's one that, that you have to make. Uh, in my experience, in my lived experience, uh, God is a super kind dude. He's super gentle. He's super loving. He's super accepting. But you kind of have to decide that for yourself. Because otherwise, I think you're gonna to feel tossed by the waves. Um, I, I think that when you read a passage in the Bible that that kind of, you know, pokes your instinct to think of God as vengeful, you're you're gonna start thinking God is vengeful. And when you read a, a passage that, you know, kind of feels like maybe is, you know more of a, a loving God, you know, you're gonna swing more in that direction. And I think that's a really confusing, really unsettled place to be. For me, i'm I'm pretty sure he's kind and gentle and loving and accepting, so the passage that you mentioned when I read it uh which I did in in several translations and especially in the message, what I hear it saying is, God knows what your deal is. God's not confused about the kind of person that you are um he he putting on airs and and pretending doesn't really work for him he He knows who you are, and so he deals with you as as you actually are, which by the way, that idea comes up in in both the old and the New Testament several times. It's it's not limited to this at all. And I can track with that. that. That point makes sense to me. But at least on some level, I'm able to read it that way because I've decided for me what kind of dude I think God is. Um, this is the key thing. In all kinds of areas of life, including in reading the Bible, you will ultimately find what you expect to be there. You will find evidence that supports the things that you are inclined to believe. And so I think it's really, really worth looking at what are you inclined to believe about God? Why are you inclined to believe that? Um, are you open to changing that if it's not a good fit and not serving you? I, I think one of the things that I think is before all of us, every human being on the planet in, in the year of our Lord, 2021, going into 2022, is recognizing You can unlearn convictions. Hmm. The fact that you've held something as a sacred belief doesn't mean you need to keep holding it that way. You can unlearn convictions. And for most of us, we have at least a few that we need to unlearn. You will keep finding what you expect to find in the Bible. I think it's worth looking at changing what those expectations are to something more healthy and more functional and that serves you and a healthy relationship with God a bit better.
0: I mean, that's all great stuff and, and takes us as exactly back to where uh, Glenn started us off with if you're looking for a God who only wants you to behave and only uh, judges you or wants things by that metric, you're definitely going to um, find that. And it's really worth asking yourself what you're looking for when you go to the Bible and not being afraid to to use a, a bit of language that I think oftentimes people find helpful. Some people find a bit hippy dippy, but Hey, that's life it, to uh, set an intention. You know, uh, yep. uh, we have a friend, uh, I have a friend, it's Lee's uh, boss who, uh, very often will say that he goes to the Bible in the morning and says, God, I need to convince you, convince me that you love me. I need to find five things to say that. And I can't do anything until I do it. And here's the amazing thing. He hasn't uh, had to stay at home until 3 PM. Cause he hadn't found them <laughs> yet. <laughs> right. But if you're not willing to admit that that's what you're going looking for, you're going to have a much, much harder time finding it. And that is all part of that journey and great stuff. Yeah, We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, I've had a few chronic health problems for a long time. I know better than to believe people saying that Jesus is going to heal every sickness that I have, but I know God cares about me. And that must include my physical health. What does mm-hmm. God think about that? And how do God and I work together to deal with these health issues? And another great question, Lee, where would we start off?
3: Well, I think the very first place that I would start off is to say, I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through what you're going through and would love to just be praying for you. Um, I'm sorry for the pain and the suffering that you've had and, and all the ancillary things that come with that. Um, you know, I've read your question a lot of times uh, since, since Matt sent it around, and I, I just, I, I love the way you word it um you know it's just very it's it's just very strong um you're like look i i i don't expect jesus to heal every sickness and disease in the world and so i'm not expecting that from him i know he could uh also i believe he cares about me and so what does god think about that i think god would say you and i are on the same page man we, like you, you you get me um and so i just want to say i think that I think that you get the Lord. I th- I think that you understand his heart a lot. Um I, I know that I know that Jesus does care about you. I know that in the end um he promises he's going to wipe every tear out of every eye. He's going to heal every disease. I I was just reading in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 9 that said he was in this one place and he healed um, he he healed a bunch of people, and it specifically said he healed because he had compassion on them. And it's a it's a it's a really funky sounding word when it says that Jesus had compassion for them. It's the the word is splunkna, and it Ooh. literally is the word for the intestines. Like nice. he felt for them in his gut. That's why he <laughs> healed them. He didn't heal them because he had the power to. He didn't heal them because. It was his job, to. He looked at people who were suffering, and in his gut, he felt for them. He feels compassion for you. Um, I, I know this is a broken and messed up place. I, I was thinking about this uh, when you said, what does God think about that? It made me think about this place in, um, in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, where Jesus rolls up on this place where a lot of people are suffering and a lot of people are struggling. And he goes up to this one dude and it says, this guy had been paralyzed for 38 years. And, it's, and it, John specifically says, when he learned that he had been there for a long time. And, and if we just stopped right there, that's, that's the word I wanted to share with you is that Jesus looked at this dude and he thought, dang, this has been a long time. And I love that right there. I love the idea of him just looking at somebody and saying, you've been going through a thing for a long time. It's like, what does the Lord think about you? He th- he has compassion for you. He wants better for you. He recognizes that you've been hurting for a long time, and all of that stuff is extremely kind. I don't know why in this broken world every there's a lot of stuff that's sideways. I know that he cares about you, and also I know that he would love for you to to have access to and to find the best kind of strategies for you to put into place for the here and now to do whatever you can um to to feel better um so whatever that would be i definitely want to be praying along with you that you get the help that you need that whether that's medication whether that's therapy whether that's um whether that's a different you know w- Whatever kind of strategies or tactics or any changes that can be made that can help, um, I'm going to be praying that the Lord would give you wisdom on that and give you access to the people that you need and to the, the care that you need. I know that He loves you. I feel like from reading your question that you understand Him and His heart. And so I want to encourage you that you're, um, you're on the right track, and I think you're a lot closer to Him
2: than, uh, than you realize.
0: That's a wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, where do we go from there?
2: Well, so I want to turn to something that you've almost certainly heard of before, and that is a very, very famous prayer that's used a ton in addiction recovery circles, but I think applies to your situation, and it's called the Serenity Prayer. And there's about 500 different versions of it, but the this is pretty close to the most common one. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think your question was, what does God think and, and, and how can God work together to improve your health? Put it another way, you know, what, what can God do for me, right? And we as Christians, yes, we believe that God does have the power to physically heal you. I think that the three things that God would ha- would give you today and would want to give you today as a part of dealing with your health situation are serenity, courage, and wisdom. Uh, the truth is that there are some things that for you are addressable today. Whether that's going and seeing a doctor or doing lab work or doing physical therapy exercises or, or whatever it is that, that's related to your situation, there's some stuff that you can address today, and to address it today is going to take a blend of of courage and endurance and strength, and God absolutely wants to give you those things. There's no question about it. There are some things that are simply not addressable today. They may be addressable tomorrow. They may be addressable next week or next month, but today they're not. And for those things, we need desperately for God to give us peace and serenity and acceptance. And he wants to do that. He absolutely wants to give you those things. And critically, as the prayer ends, we really, really, really need the wisdom to know the difference. A lot of the problems, certainly in my life, and I think it's true for a lot of us, a lot of the problems that we get into in the midst of tough situations is getting confused about the things that we have the ability to impact and the things we don't. Um, you know, Putting a bunch of time and energy and effort into stuff that <laughs> we're not going to be able to change, at least not today. And kind of ignoring the stuff that we can address and impact and change today. And God absolutely wants to give you that wisdom. He, he wants to give you that insight. He wants to give you that perspective. And I think that if you've never thought it, about it before, I'm guessing you have if you've been dealing with this, as you said, for a long time. But, but for folks who maybe are dealing with some struggles, maybe some health struggles, but it's new, I think it's an interesting question to ask, what would it look like to live at peace with your body and your situation? Hmm. I'm not even asking you to do that yet. I'm just asking you to think about what would it be like to live at peace with your body and your situation? What would it be like to accept the elements that you can't control? What would that mean for you, practically speaking? And the one more thing that I would have you begin as a thought experiment, if it's it's a new concept to you, is just what would it mean to think about your situation in an effective way? What would it mean to conceive of it and think about it in a way that gives you more calm? that gives you more groundedness, that gives you more centeredness. And this actually very much is going to tie back to, to our last question, Um, how we think about things. There's a hippy dippy way, as Matt put it, where how we think about things can, can maybe on an almost supernatural level change those things. And and I think there probably are some elements of, of truth to that, but how we think about things massively changes how we approach those things. And mm-hmm. it massively changes how stressed out we are about those things. And it massively changes how draining those things can be on us. And so I, I want to encourage you to begin imagining what would it mean for you to think effectively, to think in a way that produces good fruit that you feel good about for your situation. One more thing, and this ties into the thinking effectively. I want to encourage you to avoid black or white thinking. There are so many situations where we want to think of it as fixed or not fixed, put together or not put together, whole or broken. I don't think health works that way. I, I think a lot of situations don't work that way, but health definitely does not work that way. Most people are on a continuum of some things are going okay and some things are not. It could be that a lot of things are not going okay. It could be that a few things are not going okay. But I think that this is something where a black and white thinking, is probably not an effective form of thinking. So I'd have you consider what would it do to the way that you think about and feel about all of this if we looked at health as less of a binary, less of a black and white and more of a continuum. In the meantime, we're praying for you in the midst of this uh, struggle.
0: Absolutely, right. And Glenn, where would we close this one out?
1: Well, uh, as these other fellows have expressed, you know, we're sorry for these struggles and and uh, certainly it's it it's very difficult to talk to someone who's having, you know, a chronic problem, an ongoing problem with a lot of uh, pain and some suffering to that, and, and uh, you know, patience is running out. Just about anything you say to that is going to sound a bit trite. And so we we want to try to pull back the focus as wide as we can and just get a big picture view of it. And I, I, I would point to my own situation this past uh, week, Uh, I was doing really more work than I should have been doing, uh, getting into a bit of an overworked situation, and right at the end, right when I was really, really tired and and ready to hang it up for the week, I had a massive uh, allergy flare-up that I hadn't had in a couple of years, uh, practically. And um, I took that to the Lord and said, no fair. Uh, I'm trying to be Christian over here and um you know doing lots of stuff so you're welcome and uh you know you're you're supposed to keep me from having any problems at all whatsoever uh because if you keep me from having problems I can be super Christian and uh the, the lord explained to me <laughs> that theory doesn't doesn't hold up but it, if nothing goes wrong in my life I I tend to put it in cruise control pretty pretty easily uh, but it's also a matter of, uh, I wasn't really as focused on the way that I was managing my time, uh, as I should have been in, and, and so that, you know, the allergy thing was maybe getting my attention uh, in a certain way and maybe showing don't burn the candle at both ends because your health will suffer. You physically, you just aren't able to handle as much as you think you can. And so, um... I have to ask myself, you know, how easy is it for God to get my attention? Uh, how easy is it for him to get me to make changes in my lifestyle? All those kinds of things. Uh, but the the reality is, let me, let me take this in a, in another direction that, that might apply to your situation as well. Uh, the way that I handle that is phase one is I ignore it completely until it gets way worse. Then... I I go to the Lord and I say, okay, uh, either you heal me right away, or what I'm going to do is like grit my teeth and just be angry <laughs> and clench until it's over. And <laughs> that's not that's not good. And here's why I'm clenching. I'm clenching because I'm angry. Mm and who I'm angry at is God, because I, I don't have anybody else to be angry at. I I can sort of be angry at modern medicine for not having the cure for aging. I, I can be angry at my body for being old. Uh, I can be, you know, angry at the insurance company that's not getting me the right medication or any of those kinds of things, and, and I'll go through all those different kind of angers, but sometimes you just are angry at God because there isn't anybody else left to, to be angry about. And The thing is, God doesn't deserve that, and I know that intellectually, but emotionally I'm angry at God when I feel that kind of sick, and I feel a despair, and I feel like I'm losing hope, and I I just—I feel at the end of my rope. And I I want you to ask yourself, how comfortable are you at expressing that anger? And these other fellows were kind of touching on that. I think it's worth looking at, uh, getting real with God about that, and saying— uh, this is not okay and i don't feel good about it uh, as as lee was pointing out i think it's a good thing to to recognize okay you know i know that that uh it, it, god cares about me but man this is not cool and i think you deserve to express that uh, i think as long as you always listen to the answer you can ask as many wrong dumb you know just uh uh evil questions of God. As long as you listen to the answer, that's the whole key thing, uh, because the Lord will set you straight on all the wrongness and evil of your question. So there's, there's I, I think if we free ourselves up to express that stuff and commit ourselves to really getting that answer, I think we're going to live in better uh, mental health, if not physical health, uh, and our relationship with God will only get deeper through these sufferings.
0: Absolutely right. That's all great stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, com. if you want to slash ask, if you want to keep that totally anonymous. Don't forget to check out the BridgeCast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time at facebook.com slash bridgechicago or archived whenever you can check that out at your leisure. We're going to take out the song this week. We are deep in the midst of the Christmas season Take out this, the Bridge Loud version of "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah. You're going to see a link there. That, along with our entire Bridge Christmas album, is available on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you stream or download music. So check that out. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: Coming this Christmas from Say That Studios, it's Osteen's Eleven, a heartwarming heist movie about infiltrating the toilet areas of megachurches looking for sweet, sweet cash. <laughs>